It's time to raise your voice. It's time to be heard. Because everything counts. Everything matters. Good news. Christian values. Alabama's Christian Talk Radio. With Greg Davis. Priority Talk. This is the second hour of Priority Talk Radio. In the first hour, we talk news and politics. In the second hour, we talk ministry and culture. Uh, My name's Nate Williams. Greg Davis is out for today. We have Andrew in the studio. It's been a great show. Make sure to check uh, check out our podcast, Priority Talk. It's on Apple, Spotify, and other uh, carriers, uh, podcast carriers. Now... What are we talking about for the second hour? We will be talking a lot about reading our Bibles, just different ways of going about it, different ways of helping uh, one another read our Bibles. Uh, And but before we get there, I I saw something interesting. I was like, okay, we need to talk, talk about this. One thing I often say is that the art a culture produces shows whether or not the culture is sick or not, if it's healthy, if it's vibrant, if it's life-giving, or on the other side, if it's destructive, if it's uh, if it's full of death and darkness. And so you can tell the health of a society by the art that it produces. Uh, one example I think of is uh, Lizzo. All right. I might have the instrument wrong, but Lizzo was an example of this. Uh, this was, I don't want to say a recent story, but wasn't too terribly long ago that there was a video of her playing the flute. I think it was the flute. And she was incredible. She is so talented. Wow. What a great gift. And then there's another story, uh, excuse me, a video of her, I believe, she was like twerking with the flute or, or some instrument. And I think the, the video of her uh, dancing very provocatively was much more uh, popular and famous and got more views. I think it, uh, the, the instrument she was using was historic and very special. And so she was kind of just being shocking and uh, just trying to get a reaction out of people by by dancing this way, if you could call it dancing, with this special instrument from our nation's past. And then the other video, again, was her playing beautifully, like classically. I was like, wow, I didn't know she was this good. And and you can just tell by what's popular and famous the health of a, of a culture. And it just showed me that Lizzo, even though she's classically trained, I believe, and incredibly talented, 
what people want from her is to wear very little, to be very sexually explicit and provocative. And uh, it is just... It's just so sad because it shows that we have a sickness because that's what we desire from our artists and our musicians. There's an article from Carl Truman on First Things titled Transgression is Passé, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and recently there was um, an example of art. I put that in quotation marks sarcastically, promoted by the European Union. There was a series of photographs currently on display at the European Parliament building taken by a lesbian artist, Elizabeth Olsen. The images depict, among other things, scenes of Jesus surrounded by uh, gay men dressed in certain uh, equipment, you could say. Now, if Jesus were alive today, he would certainly be speaking to such people as he spoke to prostitutes and tax collectors in first century Palestine. But Olson claims that her work represents Christ loving LGBT rights. Whether all gay people like to see themselves caricatured in this certain way might itself be an interesting question to ask. Uh, but anyways, it just goes to say that we, we try to shock, right, by showing Jesus with very sexualized imagery. And then you had just other examples, uh, uh, the last temptation of Christ and Serrano's uh, just Christ and just excrement and whatever. And there are examples of people trying to shock by taking the sacred, the holy, and, and profaning it to make a statement. But what Carl Truman says, and it's so true, is that it's just not interesting. Like, you're trying to make a statement, but we no longer have a worldview where it really matters. Um, <clears throat> uh, this display, this is Carl Truman, represents the bankruptcy of modern culture. There's nothing there. And its inability to offer anything that's a positive vision for humanity. And so uh, a transgression such as this profane display with Christ, it's only significant if there's something, some rule, some custom, something sacred to transgress in the first place. Without such, transgression itself rapidly degenerates into a, ser a series of empty gestures it become more and more and more extreme but that you're not actually saying anything when you do it uh, so it just shows that our art just doesn't really do much because uh, it's either, our culture isn't based on Christian values only when our culture is based on Christian values when you have this art and air quotes that's meant to shock and make a statement doesn't actually mean anything, but it just shows that we live in a very empty world. That as we try to outdo each other in shock and pro profanity and grossness just to to make us feel something, we just don't feel anything. And, um, it's kind of just empty, I guess you would say. Uh, we get the point now, Carl Truman says.
Our artistic class makes it very clear uh, that you hate Christianity and the Western cultures that it built. You despise the sexual ethics of Christianity. You mock the vision of humanity that Christianity has. All you can do is resurrect religious imagery merely to knock it down again or have, and, and there's a link here I'm not going to click on, have someone just throw up on you as part of entertainment aimed, aimed at teenagers. But it just indicates that you actually have nothing to say at all. Those of us who live through the punk rock era have seen it all before. So what do you now offer as a positive vision of that? Uh, you're trying to replace Christianity, but replace it with what? You, as, an, as an artist, as a musician, Hollywood, you're replacing Christianity because you think it's so terrible. But what are you replacing it with that's even that's better? You have nothing. There are no, there's nothing holy or sacred. You're not building anything positive. You're not moving towards the future. You're mocking Christianity, but it just shows the bankruptcy of your worldview. There's nothing even close to what Judeo-Christian values helped to build in the West and the rest of the world. And this art by, you know, Jesus hanging out with uh, being with gay men dressed in a very sexual way, you're trying to shock, but it just shows that it, there's there's just emptiness there. And I think our art just promotes the fact that it tells the fact that we're very sick. We're, we live in a sick culture and uh, we just need to. You know, we need to bring back Christian values as best we can and offer a more compelling vision of the future. Again, Carl Truman talks about that in this article. I think he's one of the great thinkers of our day. I enjoy reading his works. But anyways, friends, on the other side of this break coming up, we're going to be talking about uh, reading our Bibles. What are some mistakes that we make? How can we do it better? How can we grow closer to God through uh, through uh, the Word of God? Y'all, it's an interesting conversation that we will have on the other side of the break. This is WXJC Radio Priority Talk. We'll be right back. Priority Talk. This is Greg, and I want you to know about my friend Jeff Harding and Alabama Reliable Roofing. Your local roofing expert since 1998, Alabama Reliable Roofing provides residential and commercial clients with exceptional roofing services. Jeff and his experienced team are well equipped to provide repairs and installations of shingle and metal roofs. Look, I know the importance of a roof and that it's one of the biggest investments you make in your home, place of business, or church facilities. Alabama Reliable Roofing understands this as well and has the experience to work with your insurance company in case of storm damage. So whether your roof has suffered from storm damage and needs repairs, or it just may be time for a new roof, you need an inspection to determine the next steps. Company owner Jeff Harding is waiting on your phone call and will be personally involved with every job. Call him at 205-369-9630 for a no-obligation conversation and a free estimate. Look at their work on the Alabama Reliable Roofing Facebook page and then call Jeff at 205-369-9630. Alabama Reliable Roofing, 205-369-9630. Hi, Alabama. This is Robert Jeffers, Bible teacher on Pathway to Victory. Thank you so much for listening to Priority Talk with my friend, Greg Davis, right here on WXJC.
This is Priority Talk Radio. We're on Mondays through Fridays, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. We are talking about, well, the second hour as we talk ministry and culture. We are talking about a little bit about why people don't like to read their Bible, even Christians. Kind of some of the excuses we make or maybe legitimate reasons we make for not reading our Bible. So we'll talk a little bit about that for this segment. Uh, My name is Nate Williams. We have Andrew in the studio. Greg Davis is out uh, for today. He'll be back. uh, He'll be back next week, I believe. And so uh, I guess it's me. And we are talking about a lot of interesting things. But one of the reasons why people don't read their Bibles is because uh, people don't read their Bible is because it can be confusing. Like, I'm not going to lie. There's the major stuff. If you're in the gospel, you read about Jesus and it's like, okay, I'm tracking this Jesus. He's on earth, um, preaching the good news. Wonderful. And then, okay, you get to acts and uh, all right, Christianity spreading. Okay. I'm tracking. You have Peter, you have Paul, um, Paul on his missionary journeys. You get to the letters. Uh, you have First and Second Corinthians, Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, so on and so forth. Paul is addressing various various issues in a lot of different churches. Okay, I'm tracking. But what do you do with the Old Testament? Uh, yeah, the joke is always about Leviticus, but what do you do with the minor prophets? Uh, there are a lot of books. Uh, Leviticus is, again, the, the common one that's cited. But what about parts of Numbers and First and Second Chronicles and uh, Lamentations? What, what about the book of Revelation to go back to the New Testament? And we often don't read our Bibles because a lot of it's confusing. This is where I'm glad I like reading whole Bible books. I think it's important to kind of get the grasp what's being talked about, what's being said. But we need good, what's called biblical theology. Biblical theology that we need to know when we read our Bibles, where we are in the narrative story. It's it's sometimes it gets confusing if you just don't know what's going on. And so there's a Gospel Coalition article uh, from Joe Carter titled, Let's Use Biblical Theology to Spark Scripture Engagement. Uh, And let's see, going down there, the article talks about just different statistics about people reading their Bible. Some demographics read the Bible more than other demographics. That's to be expected. Um, And uh, if most Christians, excuse me, if most Americans are curious about Jesus or the Bible, because that's what studies show, people are interested in Jesus, people are interested in the Bible, but not a lot of people read the Bible. That's what the research shows us. So if people are curious about Jesus, why do so few people engage with Scripture? And Joe says in this article, one possible reason is that they may not know how to approach the Bible because they've never been exposed to the study of biblical theology. Biblical theology has been defined as the study of how the whole Bible progresses, integrates, and ultimately culminates in Christ. 
Jesse Johnson explains that biblical theology approaches the Bible as a cohesive narrative with a crisis, conflict, climax, and resolution. It then interprets stories not in isolation. That's a key phrase. You interpret stories not in isolation by themselves as one-off in a vacuum out in space stories, but rather as they relate to the whole, it intentionally approaches the Bible as one complete book rather than as an anthology of short stories. I'm going to read that twice because it's so important. It intentionally approaches the Bible as one complete book rather than as an anthology of short stories. Unfortunately, the anthology approach is the way most Americans approach the Bible. They assume the important parts are found only in the New Testament, especially the Gospels, since they tell us about Jesus directly. Modern Bible readers have a difficult time understanding the significance of the Old Testament, though they may acknowledge it has some value as moral literature. So for much of our Bible, we, we, we talk, the, and the numbers do show, that people are interested in Jesus, and they're interested in the Bible. They might even have a high view of Jesus in the Bible, but then you're like, well, why don't they read their Bible? And the reason is because they don't really know how. This happens with Christians, too. Uh, Y'all, it's one of the greatest flaws in churches today is we're taught, all right, how to be saved. We're taught to pray the prayer, no matter your thoughts on that. The sinner's prayer, uh, accept Jesus Christ into your heart. Again, a lot of people will debate whether or not that's good terminology. Uh, anyways, we're taught certain things about professing your faith in Christ. Some of it's good. Some of it's not exactly great theology, but I digress. But then after that, we hand people a Bible. We say, good luck. Get involved in church. Sayonara. See you later. Adios. And then people have these Bibles that, as the, as the cliche phrase goes, that just collects dust on their coffee table or uh, one of their shelves or the, the table, or the, the, the dinner table or the counter, wherever you keep your Bible, and it just collects dust. We never read it. We're not taught how to read the Bible. The, the, the biblical narrative is a cohesive whole. It all goes together. It's the story. It's the story of God's goodness and God's love. It's the story of Jesus. And so we need to do a better job of teaching biblical theology that that it's not all just one-off approaches. Um, uh, let's see. We think of, all right, you got this Jesus guy, and I guess you got this Paul guy that tells us a little bit more about specific scenarios and has teachings on uh, maybe sexuality, relationships. You have Ephesians 5, submission. You have James. Uh, we'll like the book of James. It'll give us a kick in the pants. Uh, very convicting. Okay, we like that. And then we stay there. It's safe. It's comfortable. It's uh, relatable somewhat to our modern ears. Like, okay, hey, maybe we shouldn't sleep with a bunch of different people. Okay, well, I get that in 2023. I understand. Hey, watch what you say. This is in Proverbs as well. Watch your words. 
Okay, I understand that. But then there are large portions of our Bible that we don't touch because it's scary. We're not taught how to read it. So to church leaders out there, we need to teach good, accurate biblical theology so that when someone goes and reads Numbers and Exodus, you're like, okay, well, Exodus comes after Genesis, and you have Moses and the Hebrews and Egypt, and and then they're they're leading people to the promise. Moses is leading people to the promised land. Then after that, you have uh, Aaron, uh, just. Uh, uh, you have, not Aaron. Why did I say Aaron? You have Joshua uh, being a leader in Israel, and then you have the judges. Uh, the judges are important. Then eventually you have the kings. Uh, people, uh, the the Israel rejected the judges, rejected uh, the prophets, and so he said, "Give me a, a, a give us a king to lead us like the other nations." And then you had uh, Saul. David and Solomon, and then you have after that uh, the, the the kingdom split Israel and Judah, Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. Then eventually you had Assyria and the Babylonians uh, knocking down Israel and Judah. You had the uh, dispersion as uh, Jews were scattered. Many of them came back. Uh, they came back to Israel. And uh, then you had the Greeks and the Romans subjugation. And then you have Jesus coming during the times of the, uh, the Roman reign, the Roman Empire. Uh, let's see what else. And then you have the dispersion of Christians into the world, uh, going all over uh, Israel, going all over the Mediterranean, uh, Africa. You had a lot of Christians that, this isn't as well known, that went east into Asia, uh, to, to spread the gospel there in India. Anyways, but it's like this cohesive narrative. But we're really not taught that. We're taught, okay, hey, read this Bible for application. We'll talk more about that, applying the Bible to your life, the dangers of that if you go too far with that. But anyways, there's a cohesive narrative. You have Genesis to Revelation. And we're just not taught how to read our Bible. We're kind of, people are left to figure th things out on their own. And so Americans, uh, as this article shows, again, this is the Gospel Coalition. Uh, some of them, some of us read our Bibles. Some of us don't. But the Bible can be intimidating if we don't have people who help us walk through uh, what's going on. And I get that. There are some difficult passages. Romans 9 through 11, it can be difficult. What's the relationship between uh, Jews, Gentiles? Uh, that, that can be tricky. You have different thoughts there. Church and the nation of Israel. You have, what are some other tricky passages? There's some very deep theology in Hebrews that can be tough. Revelation, lots of different parts of the visions, uh, lots of different visions and parts to those visions. Uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, some stuff can be tough to understand. That's true. But all in all, there is a natural arc, a natural story. So we need to do a better job of teaching biblical theology. And maybe as we do a good job of teaching our Bibles, more people, more Americans, more Christian, uh, more Ameri uh, American Christians will be interested in reading. Those are my thoughts, y'all. I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, text in 205-941-1011. As you read your Bible, what has helped you to understand the Word of God?
Greg Davis here, and I want to remind you of Priority Talk's longest-running advertiser, and that's Today's Family Dentistry, your friendly dental practice conveniently located in downtown Coleman. Make your appointment to see Dr. David Kim, Dr. Keetan, or Dr. Stephanie Young, along with an experienced and certified team of dental technicians, along with a friendly staff, I might add, who serve both children and adults with a wide range of dental services. That includes general and restorative care, along with the cosmetic enhancements to meet all of your family's dental needs. Today's Family Dentistry accepts Medicaid for children under 21, Blue Cross Blue Shield All Kids, and most commercial insurances. Give them a call today and make your appointment. 256-739-3337. That's Today's Family Dentistry located in downtown Coleman. Call today and make your appointment. 256-739-3337. Today's Family Dentistry in downtown Coleman. And now, back to Priority Talk with Greg Davis. My life be like... Priority Talk Radio, we are here again. You know why we're here again? Well, the reason why is we are on Mondays through Fridays from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. And this is a Thursday night. So that's why we are here. And I am so glad to be with you tonight. My name is Nate Williams. Greg Davis is out for today. We have Andrew in the studio. And uh, we're talking just different ways of reading our Bible a little bit. In the last segment before the break, we talked about uh, why people seem to have such an interest in Jesus and the Bible. But so few Americans actually read their Bible. And a lot of Christians don't read the way that we should either. Why is that? And uh, we talked about uh, maybe a reason for that. So if you missed any of the conversation Make sure to check out our podcast, Priority Talk. It's on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast carriers. The next article we'll talk about is also from the Gospel Coalition titled, Potential Dangers of Applying Scripture to My Life. This is by Ty Kaiser. And one thing we often do with the Bible is we jump to application. What does this mean for me? How does it affect my life? How should I live? How should I, uh, what, what should I change? What should I do? What should I say? How should I think? And that's natural. There are parts to apply. But what happens is if that's all we read our Bibles for application, it becomes just me-centered. It's all about me. It's all about what I want, how, how I feel. It's me, 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 me. And just know that, uh, again, theologians have phrased this better than I am about to. But the Bible was written for our benefit, but it wasn't written to us. Does that make sense? It's for us, but not to us. So, for example, Paul didn't know that when he wrote 1 Corinthians that I, Nate Williams, was going to be reading it in 2023. He didn't know that. He was not reading. He was not writing this way to the Corinthian church and Nate in Alabama in 2023. I'm writing this letter to you so that you can apply it to your life, Nate. No, Paul was not thinking. He did not know about me. He did not know I was ever going to exist. And what happens when all you do is focus on application? What does scripture mean for me in my life? Is we kind of become very selfish with the Bible. 
And also, when it comes to parts of Scripture that are less application-based than others, we dismiss them. That They serve no use. They serve no purpose because I can't apply this explicitly to my life. And therefore, why should I bother reading it? And so we are. We sometimes read our Bibles in a very application-heavy way, and we need to be careful. And this article uh, talks about that by uh, Ty Kaiser. And Kaiser says, uh, there are three common faulty assumptions that we have when we read our Bibles in this way, focused on application. And number one, uh, uh, at number one, we uh, say uh, that we should start with me and my questions. It's all about me. And, and it's a starting point. What can I get out of it? What's in it for me? There's an alternative to this approach to reading our Bibles. The alternative is to start with God. Start with God. Rather than allowing our questions and assumptions to have the first say, so, so that we eclipse the bi uh, biblical narrative, it becomes about me, we can begin with God's story and the reality of the world as he established it. We start reading scripture with God as the fundamental reality, just as the Bible begins to tell the story, in the beginning, God. This doesn't mean we can't bring our questions or present our problems to God as we read scripture. For example, turning to particular psalms and seasons of pain, fear, or grief, or reading Proverbs and family devotions to cult cultivate habits of wisdom. But it does mean we seek first the kingdom and consider our questions and problems within that orientation. We should avoid what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the unbiblical search for a solution from the vantage point of humanity. So start with God. What does this tell me about God? How should I view God? Uh, God is, is, is the starting point. I think that's very <laughs> biblical, and I think it's very healthy. Assumption number two, okay? Assumption number two that, that's wrong. We think that the Bible is primarily a collection of principles. So statements, yeah, just principles to, to live by. Shallow approaches to application make assumptions about the object of our search. We turn the Bible into an answer key, a collection of principles or eternal truths waiting to be discovered and applied. We read biblical stories, poetry, po prophecy, epistles, and apocalyptic literature and ask, what nugget can I take away from this? Oh man, that's convicting. I've done that so many times. Sometimes it seems scripture would be better suited to us if it were in the form of an Excel spreadsheet, a series of lists of statements, rules, principles for life, and facts of the world ready to be applied to any given situation with a, a quick control F. So that's a little bit uh, just, uh, anyways, uh, technology language there. Like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus looking for some sage insight he might use in his already decent life, we come to the text of Scripture looking for a principle we might apply to our lives, 
our jobs, and our car's bumpers. Yet in doing so, we too may miss out on the life-engulfing invitation of God in Scripture. I like that. Life-engulfing invitation of God in Scripture. So here's the alternative there. Scripture is fundamentally the story of God and his work. My attempts to use scripture primarily as a collection of principles can dull its living and active power. Are there principles in scripture? Certainly. But it's fundamentally an account of who God is and what he's done to redeem creation from the effects of sin. Scripture is, as has become popular to say, a story or drama of God. Um, I think, oh goodness, what theologian was good with this? I think his name was Robert Jensen, I believe. The drama of God. Rather than picking out principles from the story, so you leave the story behind, the nature of the story inclines us with our whole beings to be engrossed by it and to encounter its authors. Assumption number three, the goal of reading the Bible is improving my life, right? It's like a self-help book. Sometimes this is what I say. This is me, not the article. Sometimes our view of the Bible means we don't even need God. That, okay, let me look in my Bible. This is called bibliolatry. Let me look in my Bible, get whatever I need to do for today. I'm not going to engage with the author. I don't even need to pray. I got my rules from the Bible. See you later. I'm out. I don't even need God. We think the goal of the Bible is improving my life. And uh, that's just not healthy. Uh, let's see. Um, with this assumption, the application of Scripture ends up being more like a divine stamp of approval on pursuing my own goals for my own benefit. This reflex has led to an onslaught of both good and bad books and sermons on the biblical way to do X, whether X is to make money, vote, dress, raise kids, do business, or even diet. Having been trained in these application habits, so to speak, I open my Bible and look for immediate personal benefits from the words of Scripture, such as three takeaways or one minor behavioral change I can make on the spot. Y'all, this is so convicting because I have read the Bible so many times this way. I, I open up my Bible and I'm like, okay, what can I get out of it? What can I apply? And I was successful in my Bible study or my quiet time if I found a nugget to take away that I can apply. And I, if I did not find that behavioral modification principle, well, I wasted my time. I guess I just wasn't listening good enough or maybe the Bible passage wasn't good enough, whatever it is. Y'all, that's not what the Bible is about primarily. So an alternative to that assumption is this. The goal of reading the Bible is communing with God. Yes, yes, and yes. That's why we read our Bible. It's so that we can get to know God better. We can talk with him, walk with him. I always think of, uh, you know, he walks with me, he talks with me along life's uh I, I need to quote this correctly. Is it narrow way, merry way, something like that? Anyways, uh, Christ Jesus lives today. Um, a beautiful song. Anyways, I probably butchered the lyrics, but whatever. Uh, you probably know the song I'm talking about. But the goal of reading the Bible is communing with God. 
That's why we read, y'all. It's so that we can grow closer to God. He's our heavenly father. And uh, I think about it this way. If there's a love letter, all right, someone writes you a love letter, will there be factoids in there about the author? Sure. You can learn more about the author through the love letter. Will there maybe be action steps? Yes. Maybe the, the person, the author has asked you to do various things. But what's the primary reason you read a love letter? You want to learn and, 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 and grow closer to the person by, by hearing their heart for you, by hearing how they feel about you, what they think about you. Hopefully it's good things. It's a love letter after all. That's why you read the love letter. It's like, tell me uh, what, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, how I can uh, just, uh, anyways, I, I think I'm making my point, y'all. Uh, the Bible, in a way, is God's love letter to us. Now, yes, there's conviction, there's negativity, there's a lot of sad and scary and, and uh, awful things in the Bible that we read about. But ultimately, we have the Bible so that we can commune with God, walk with God, develop a, a, an, a, an even more intimate relationship with God. It's all about the relationship. Don't turn the Bible into only application, only principles, little factoids, uh, doctrines to believe mentally and intellectually. That's part of the Bible. But we're missing out on so much if that's where we either start or stop. It's all about God. That's why we read. Uh, friends, on the other side of the break, I'll talk about some things that we tend to do that are discouraging. We don't read our Bibles because we don't think we'll master it or we'll be able to read all of it. We don't make changes because we feel like it's too late in life and we'll never get there. Well, what do we do with that, friends? It's, a, it's honest, it's raw, it's real. There's some reasons why we don't get involved in church or read our Bibles, and we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. This is Nate Williams, WXJC Radio, Priority Talk. We'll be right back. Priority Talk. Marketing can be overwhelming. The marketing landscape is full of holes to lose your money. Stop trying to piece your marketing together. Start marketing with a purpose. Dot Edison Marketing is your full-service marketing partner. They are your business's outsourced marketing team. Call them at 205-332-3728 or go to their website at dotedison.com. Hey, everybody, this is Kurt Cameron, and you're listening to Greg Davis on Priority Talk. As we near the end of our show, right, because we go from five to seven, as we near the end of the show, do not lose hope. Do not lose faith. Just know that we'll be back tomorrow from 5 to 7. And you know why we'll be back tomorrow 
We'll be back tomorrow because we are on Mondays through Fridays from 5 to 7 p.m. This is Priority Talk, Good News, Christian Values. Greg Davis is out for today. My name's Nate Williams. We have Andrew in the studio. And this second hour, we, we talked about a couple different things, but we major, we pretty much stayed on the topic of reading our Bibles, some of the mistakes we make, some of the ways we can make reading our Bibles uh, easier or better. And uh, I think we'll continue with that theme as we close out the show. There's an article on 1819 News. Typically, with this website, if I'm talking about an article on it, it's in the first hour. Because the first hour is when we talk news and politics. Second hour is ministry and culture. But I read this article by Lauren DeMoss Benson. And... Even though I'm going to modify the article, I'll read part of it, I'll give you the gist of it, and then I'll apply it to Bible reading and our faith. But it's titled, It's Not All or Nothing. It's Not All or Nothing. This is what she says. If you take a scroll down Instagram lane, especially on the conservative side of town, You'll see hundreds upon hundreds of homesteading accounts with the goal of being independent and free from the government. These accounts feature huge and beautiful gardens, modern and adorable chicken coops, or even vast roaming cattle. The people who live that life are blessed for sure, although such blessings don't come without work or sacrifice. But while it's great to have such goals, most people don't live this way. And I believe this trend is overwhelming, discouraging those with fewer resources from participating at all. We are such an all or nothing society. Social media has probably contributed to the pressure we feel to be all or nothing people. Hustle culture tells us that if we aren't all in all at once, we are doomed to be failure, uh, doomed to be failures. In order to live healthy, you have to exercise every day, they say. In order to be independent, you must own 50 acres and cows and chickens. In order to support your community, you have to know everyone in town. We have bought into these lies and they have left so many overwhelmed with the fact that they can't do it all. And so they end up doing nothing. Because they don't have five acres, they don't build a garden. Because they, don't, they can't have a lavish, custom chicken coop, they don't get the chickens. Because they can't exercise every day, they don't do it at all. Because they don't know everybody, they don't meet anybody. Because they can't do it perfectly all at once, they don't start small with what they have. In reality, no one reaches their goals all at once. Things like this take years to work up to or build. Social media presents these lifestyles in 30-second increments of time-lapsed videos. In reality, they have been built little by little, one step at a time, over a long period of time. Even just thinking about doing it all at once is overwhelming. Why would we think doing it all wouldn't lead to burnout? And this is where I'll pause, I'll stop reading the article 
I think the point's been made, and I'll talk talk about this more from a spiritual perspective. So what Lauren was saying is kind of conservatives oftentimes will have this goal of being self-sufficient and independent. We have our cattle and our chickens and our uh, and our land and our gardens. We, we, we look at fitness influencers on Instagram who, oh, if you do this workout program in one month, you're going to be shredded and you're going to look like a bodybuilder or look like a fitness model and and we think about saving money that if you do this one simple hack you'll be rich within a, a year or two and, and and we try to do it all and then we get burned out and i think the principle of working with the little that you have now work incrementally you know take a half hour walk Maybe you can't do high intensity interval, high intensity interval training, hit training. Maybe you don't have a fancy gym membership, and maybe you don't have a ton of land, and maybe you don't have a ton of money. That's okay. That's okay. It'll be all right. Make modest incremental changes, and you'll be amazed. Five, ten, fifteen. 20 plus years down the road as you make those incremental changes do the small things do the little things do what you can but actually like actually do them that you'll be amazed decades down the road where you are in life i think that's important now so so that's important with those things i'm gonna take what she's saying and apply it to the church I've talked to a lot of people who are later on in life. Maybe they became a Christian later or they took their faith seriously later. And they're like, the Bible's so intimidating. Where do I start? I, I don't have a fancy seminary, fancy schmancy degree. What do I do? Or it's like, I, I, there's so many flaws I have. I, where, where, where do I, I, I I'm going to, I'm so imperfect that I, I didn't become a Christian at five years old and join a, a, a monastery. Monastery, I, di I didn't go off to college to get some theology degree, and I didn't uh, serve overseas for years in, in mission work, and I'm just so behind. Y'all, you're not behind if that's you. Maybe you haven't taken your faith seriously, and you think, ah, well, I'm later on in life. It's too late for me. No, it's not. No, it's not. Join a ministry at the church. Ask your pastor for some sort of, or, or, or an elder or a deacon, for some sort of discipleship, mentorship relationship. Meet for coffee or breakfast or on the weekends. Bring your Bible. Um, if you're wanting to read your Bible, get a Bible plan. I don't know how you feel about reading the Bible in a year. That can be intimidating, and I kind of find that it can be monotonous at times. But find something that works for you, a, a daily devotional. Um, listen to sermons as you uh, mow the yard, do yard work, maybe as you're driving to and from work. Listen to podcasts from theologians and uh, and uh, good good biblical speakers, and just do what you can. Do one thing, all right? In the morning, wake up and read a few verses. And maybe it's at first that's all you do. And, and you're like, man, this will never get anywhere. God will use it to produce fruit in your life. God will change you. He will honor a heart of faithfulness. It's not too late. If you're middle-aged, if you're 
40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and you're like, well, it's too late for me. No, it's not. That no, success isn't overnight. This is with anything, with your body, with your finances. But just do this small things, but actually do them. Have an accountability group. Have a good friend group around you that will call you out when, when necessary. When you're saying, I can't do it. Have a friend group that says, oh, that's bull. You can. Have people who believe in you that speak life and uh, that speak life into your life that support you, but then also can kind of give you a kick in the pants when you need it. I took this article from Lauren that I thought was good on its own. I thought it's good when it comes to starting a garden, when it comes to fitness, when it comes to whatever it is, but also applied it now to the church and your walk with God. That you don't have to memorize the whole Bible by tomorrow to be an effective Christian. But it might help to memorize a Bible verse a week or something. You don't have to start a whole ministry at your church. That's important, and sometimes that needs to be done. But just join the youth ministry or the children's ministry. Be an usher or a greeter. Ask your pastor if you can uh, help in various ways. Chairs need to be stacked. And uh, maybe your church has a kitchen crew. Go join the kitchen crew. Uh, people need singers and musicians for worship. Uh, people need to visit nursing homes. I bet your pastor would love help with his chaplaincy duties, right? Uh, maybe visiting nursing homes or hospitals. Y'all, there's so many ways to serve, but just do something small. Maybe it'll grow. But I promise you, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, your life will be changed. So don't have this all or nothing mentality that is so popular and prevalent because of social media. It's so true. We watch those little time-lapsed videos in 30 seconds. It's like, wow, they got it so quickly. No, they didn't. They worked on things over the years. Healthy marriages that we all want. It takes years of communication and, and working and putting energy and effort into romance and communication and teamwork and compromise. It didn't just happen. Over the years, y'all, over the years, let's play the long game. That's what I always say when I, when I mentor and I disciple. We play the long game. It is important. That's what we're after, y'all. I want to hear your thoughts. Make sure to text in to 205-941-1011. You can text the letters PTR to that number. You'll be on our text line. And then when we send out notifications like, hey, we're, we're talking to someone, a, a, a great guest coming up, make sure to listen in. Or we have this question that we need y'all to, to, to answer for us. You'll be on that text line and you can uh, ask questions, make comments. We want to hear what you have to say. We have a great audience. We are so thankful for y'all. Again, we're on Mondays through Fridays, 5 to 7 p.m. My name's Nate Williams. We have Andrew in the studio doing a great job as always, and we will be back. Y'all make sure that you're driving safe. It's a crazy world out there. Make sure you are active and involved in your church. Make sure that you're always praying and reading your Bibles, y'all. We'll talk to you later. So